You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. We are in Mark chapter 2, and we are nearing the end of Mark season one. So you may recall, we're going through a journey over the next couple of years through the book of Mark, but we're doing it kind of like your favorite Netflix show, all right? We can't give it to you all at once. We're going to do season one, we'll go somewhere else, season two, eventually season three. Six seasons in this show, and we are ending pretty soon. Next week will be the last week in, uh, in the book of Mark, part one, and we're calling this season, this part, The Arrival. We're going back in time to see what was it like when Jesus first showed up on the scene, and, uh, and it's been a good time. And so as you turn in your Bible there, I want to ask you a question. You may find it funny, but I mean it with all my heart. Where are you in the pecking order? Where are you in the pecking order? You know what I'm talking about. We've all heard of the pecking order. Maybe you haven't heard of it, but I guarantee you, you've at least felt it. The pecking order. It's your, where do you fit in the hierarchy of society? What's your social status? You see, for the most part, this this idea of social status, this is kind of an invisible, abstract concept, right? This is not somewhere, it's like, it's not officially documented. You get pulled over by the police, and they're like, license, registration, and social standing card, please. You know, you're like... You don't have t-shirts. This is not something you put on your license. I'm a level six in the social standing. I'm better than him, but I'm worse than her. Where are you in the pecking order? You put this in your Instagram bio, right? This is something you broadcast. No, this is invisible. The pecking order is invisible. But there's one place where the invisible is made visible. There is one place in this world where the social hierarchy is made plain to see. There's one place in this world where the the standing and where you compare to him and her, where this thing is so clearly laid out that it might as well be etched in stone. These abstract social constructs become clear as day. You know where? In the high school cafeteria. How many of you just got shivers, right? I should have given a trigger warning, right? You're like, high school was not nice, right? In the high school cafeteria, your ranking, your popularity, these are etched in stone. Your social importance, you can literally see who's more important and less important based on the, the layout of these tables. You thought these were the seats to eat your meal on. No, friends, these are positions of power and influence. And importance. If you sit in the wrong seat, you'll either be mocked, made fun of, or pitied. You see, at these tables, the pecking order is made clear. How many of you were relieved to graduate high school, right? Like, yes, I'm done with that. And so we move on into the world and we go, yes, I am done with the pecking order. Only to realize that much of life still feels like the cafeteria, doesn't it? You go to work and people are jockeying for position and they're, and they're looking down and they go, she got a raise? Oh, well, he deserves a raise. And we're jockeying. 
You go to the latest party and the local gossip, it tells you who are the people you should and should not associate with if you hope to boost your own importance. I go to the gym and I just can't help it. I just, I try to size people up, you know, and you try to put yourself in a weight class and and where do I fit into this thing? You go to the ladies' Bible study and you try to figure out, well, who's going to sit with who? And if she sits with her, well, then I can't sit with her because they're sitting the sit. And we primp and we posture and we we flex and we stunt all in an attempt to be esteemed as valuable. To avoid the label of undesirable. Because you see, friends, at the end of the day, none of us want to be sitting alone at the far end of the cafeteria. None of us in this room, we don't, none of us want to be despised and ignored at the bottom of the social ladder. And so today, Jesus shows up, and he shows up at lunch kind of a cafeteria throwback, if you will. And he shows up into the cafeteria and Jesus messes up the entire hierarchy. He walks into the cafeteria and he ignores the rules. Jesus, you don't sit here, you don't sit here, you sit here. And Jesus comes in and he walks over to those of us who don't deserve to sit at the head of the table. He walks up to those of us who deserve to be as far as possible from the king's table. And he comes and we learn some good news this morning. He walks in and we learn that Jesus comes near to those who are far. Jesus comes near to those who are far. And that's the lesson we're going to see this morning as we dive into our story. And so let's read it. Let's read our story. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll just go through and break it down. Starting in verse 13 of the second chapter. This is God's word. It says this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is our passage this morning. And so let's go back to the beginning. I love this story, and I'm telling you guys, as you read this, as you follow along, this is going to change your life. So look what it says here, back in verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. We find Jesus again, and what is he doing? He's doing what Jesus does. Jesus is always teaching. He's always teaching. He didn't simply show up and announce the arrival of the kingdom, which is good good enough news as it is. 
He wasn't merely inviting people to come and enter into that kingdom. He shows up and he is teaching them how things work in that kingdom. He's teaching them the ethos and the culture and the lifestyle of this new kingdom. And so he's teaching them what are God's ways. How does the kingdom of God differ from the kingdom of this world where we rule and reign? How are relationships different? How does our approach to work and leadership different? How how does our approach to parenting differ? What's the sexual ethic of this kingdom? How does God want us to approach him in this kingdom? How should we be treating each other in this kingdom? Friends, there is so much to learn in this kingdom. And so Jesus is always teaching because to follow him is to be a pupil. To follow Jesus is to be a student, to say, teach me. And so here's a question that I think a healthy church should be asking regularly. And I'm going to give it to you. You should write this down. And the next time you hang out with your community group, ask this question. This is a healthy church question. It's this. What is he teaching you lately? Jesus is always teaching. And so that should be a common question. Hey, what is he teaching you? What is he teaching you? Every day, friends, we come and we sit before him like a child before his parent. We say, hey, Jesus, teach me. Teach me something today. And you see, we approach the Bible not to master it, not to to come and conquer it, to be mastered by it. Right? When we come to the Bible going, oh, yeah, I get it. I know it. Oh, yeah, look at We we come and, and that all it produces is spiritual arrogance. Oh, yeah, I know this thing. And we mastered it. And then, no, we come before Jesus like pupils and we say, no, master me. Master, teach me. Transform me. Jesus is always teaching. And this morning, class is in session yet again. Class is in session. But we're not going to hear his teaching. Right? We don't, we don't hear exactly what he's teaching because Mark, he doesn't always, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to tell us. He wants to show us. And so today, we're going to be taught by Jesus, but not in a classroom. We're going to be taught as we see him in action on a field trip. Anybody enjoy a field trip? Here we go. I hope you got your parent permission slips because we are going on this field trip to a very unsavory place. It's not a nice place. It's not a place you'll let your children go unsupervised. Our field trip is taking us by the tax booth. Tax booth. This is not the most popular spot in town. You see, the Jews, you have to understand this. The Jews in Jesus' day, they're not living in an independent, sovereign nation like they did in the Old Testament, where they were self-governed, they had their own kings, their own laws. No, no, no. This time, thousands of years later, at this point, they are living under Roman occupation. Okay? They're under the thumb of Rome, which means they got to pay taxes. They got to give Uncle Sam what he's owed, or in this case, Uncle Shemuel, you know? It's a Hebrew joke. You'll get it later. And so the Roman officials, they don't collect their own taxes. They're not going door to door and saying, hey, give us what you owe. No, no, the Romans, they're way more slick than that. The Romans, they've created this system where they recruit tax collectors for the Jews from among the Jews. And so I want you to imagine your neighbor, he's over for coffee. He goes, hey, I got a new job. No way. We've been praying for you. I know you've been wanting a new job. 
what'd you find? Well, the Romans picked up my resume off of Indeed, and I just got, I just got a new job as a chief tax collector for our area. Oh, because that neighbor, you know what Rome told him? You have the authority to collect taxes for this area with the full power of Rome backing you, meaning you're untouchable. You know what else they told him? When the guy said in the interview, hey, so what's the salary here? What are the benefits? They said, hey, here's how we pay you. At the end of the month, you give us whatever's owed for that area. Anything you collect on top of that, that's your salary. And so the result was you had your neighbors, your fellow countrymen, your fellow Jews became bullies. They started to extort from their own countrymen because they would collect what they needed for Rome and then whatever else they can squeeze out of you. That was their own salary. And so the tax collectors in this day, their houses looked a little bit nicer than everybody else's. Their clothes were a little bit nicer than everybody else's, if you know what I mean. These were not liked dudes. These were, these were the lowest of lows. These are not the kind of guys you're going to invite over for your dinner party tonight. These are not the people you hope sign up for your community group. These guys are traitors, crooks to their own people. They were sellouts. They're the opposite of justice. They're the opposite of righteous. These are the people that as they walked by, people would spit at them. Sinner. Sinner. That guy. You guys know that guy, right? He's right there. That guy. And Jesus is going on a field trip to the tax booth to teach us a lesson. What do you think that lesson's going to be? Woo! Get him, Jesus. Here we go. We're go hey, guys, come on. We're going to the tax booth. Jesus is going to go confront those slime balls. Here we go, Jesus. And Jesus is like, let's go. And they walk up to the tax booth. And you could, just, you could imagine the excitement. They're going to see Jesus put this guy in his place. They're going to see Jesus tell him what he thinks of his profession and his lifestyle. Here we go, Jesus. Tell him to repent with a capital R, right? And Jesus walks up. They all think he's going to confront the establishment. And he looks at Levi. He sees this guy, Levi, sitting at the tax booth, Levi's tax booth. And he says to him, follow me. Follow me. Jesus is still, at this point in the story, he is still calling people to follow him. We've seen this already. Remember back in chapter 1, this is not like, hey, follow me real quick. I want to show you something. No, no, no. Jesus went to Simon and, P or Simon and Andrew's place of work. They were fishermen, and he said, follow me. He saw James and John. They were at work, and what does he say? Follow me. Jesus is calling these guys the same way that a rabbi selects individuals and calls them to be his students, kind of like this, this immersive internship, if you will. He is calling them to learn his teachings, not by reading a book, but by following him and learning from his life. He's inviting these people to learn his way of life so well that they will go and do the same. This is a call to follow Jesus with your life. That's what Jesus is saying to Levi here. He says, make my way the dominating reality of your life. That's the call. We've seen this now several times. Follow me, follow me, follow me. And this morning we hear, follow me, to a tax collector? 
That guy gets the invitation to follow Jesus. That guy gets the acceptance letter to the school of leadership put on by Jesus Christ. Is anyone else surprised by his choice? I get the fishermen, you know. They're businessmen. They can be useful in a pinch. You know, they got some strength in case things get tough. They can be the muscle. But the the tax collector, yes. This guy gets the invite, friends, because Jesus comes near to those who are far. Jesus comes near to those who are far. And so Jesus shows up at the tax booth, and we don't hear Levi's response. We don't have any of his words. There's no dialogue. We are thrust into the action, and we see point blank how he responds. And he responds in the most simple way. It says, he rose and followed him. Levi hears the call. He's going this way, crook, all right? Tax collector, extorter. He hears the call and he simply pivots. He simply turns from his old pursuits and he says, I now follow Jesus. And he followed him. And he would continue to follow him wherever he may go. He's following the leader. Friend, are you a follower of Jesus? That's the question. That's the question. And so often we want to ask some other questions like, do you go to church? Did you grow up in church? Do you believe in God? None of those are the question. The question is simple. Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you turned from ruling and reigning over your own life and now you say, no, Jesus rules and reigns over my life? And maybe you're here and you're like, dude, there's no way, no how. I'm way too far gone. You have no idea what I've done. You have no idea who I am. I am a lost cause. That invitation does not extend to me. And yet Jesus is coming near to those who are far. Are you a follower of Jesus? To my fellow followers, like, yes, I'm a follower. I've been baptized. I I live for Jesus. I remember, man, back in 89, I remember when I turned decisively and I got in that water. Well, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to remind you to my fellow followers that the same thing that we did at the beginning is the same thing that we're called to do every day. Remember how we became followers, right? We, We turned from our way toward God's way. But repentance is not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. And so this very thing that we see Levi doing, let us not think, oh, that's for those who don't follow Jesus. No, that is a picture of our life. Cows moo, dogs bark, cats meow, followers of Jesus repent. It's what we do. It's what we do. And that's what Levi does here. Levi, he turns And he follows Jesus. But call me cynical. Call me a little bit pessimistic. I just can't help but wonder, will this tax collector ever really find himself on the in-circle? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, all right, he got the invitation, but is he going to be merely tolerated? Or will he ever actually be welcomed in? Will he ever graduate from his status of second-class citizen? with that unsavory background and past? Well, let's find out. Let's see what happens. Verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, 
Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. We fast forward here, and Jesus is having dinner with his disciples. And guess who's there? Oh, it's the new guy. That guy. He's at dinner with Jesus and his disciples. And that right there will preach by itself. This is beautiful. The first thing that we see Jesus doing with this guy is sharing a meal with him. The first thing we see, the first action, the first, the first example we see of Jesus relating to this man who most people wouldn't even look at him in the eyes. The dude is having a meal, the universal sign of friendship and acceptance. But then it gets even better. Not only has this outsider been invited to a meal, Jesus is giving him a privilege that he has never had in his life. He's hosting the rabbi. Notice, where are they having dinner? Where is this meal? In his house. In his house. I want you to imagine a foreign dignitary is coming to the United States, right? The prime minister of Japan, you know. They definitely have prime ministers, trust me, okay? And so the prime minister of Japan, he comes. Don't Google that. I see you. Get your phone off. Thank you very much. The prime minister of Japan he comes, and you would think, all right, he's going to be hosted by someone of equal rank, right? At least, probably even a higher rank. But they call you, and they go, hey, Billy Joe from the Eastern Shore, you got any room at dinner for your crab feast on Thursday? You got any crab dip? Uh, sure, yeah. You want to come over? Nah, but the prime minister of Japan is here, so we need you to host him. Oh, What? It's an honor, right? You, we know this in our culture. To host a person of influence is an honor. And that's exactly what's happening with Levi here. He's not just invited to dinner. He's given the honor of hosting dinner for Jesus. Friends, do not miss this. Let's not rush through the narrative here. Jesus is having dinner. He's breaking bread with a person that most people won't even look at in the eyes. He invited himself over to this person's house, being willing to associate with him, a person who is despised and wouldn't even be invited into someone else's home. You see, here we realize that Jesus is bestowing dignity on a man who was despised. He's affirming the humanity and value of a man who was rejected. Jesus is not giving a token invitation. This is not a political correctness campaign, and Jesus is checking off a box. I need to have one disciple of every cross-intersectional section out there. No, no, this is Jesus genuinely and warmly inviting this man into relationship with him. Inviting him. So let's be friends. Sit at the table and learn from me, because Jesus loves him. Because Jesus comes near to those who are far. Friend, if I can say with all of the energy of my life to you one thing, I would tell you this. Jesus is not calling you merely to change your religious affiliation. Jesus is not calling you and including you in his invitation to be politically correct. He is inviting you into meaningful relationship with himself. He is inviting you who has been made in the image of God. He's inviting you near not to condemn you, 
but to restore you to relationship with your creator. You see, others may not want to look at you in the eye. You may not want to look at yourself in the eye, but Jesus has come to remove our shame and he calls us to follow him. I think of Revelation chapter three, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is the call. Jesus is going, coming near to those who are far and he's initiating meaningful relationships. But it's not just Levi, right? If it was like one person, you go, well, that's the exception, not the rule. Guys, this is not just Levi. Everywhere Jesus goes, we see the the refreshingness of his presence attracts others. That's why, look who else is at dinner? Many tax collectors and sinners are sitting there. Jesus' treatment of this dude is so attractive and so meaningful and so refreshing that at some point in the story, Levi goes and he tells his friends from work. Levi goes and he tells his co-workers, and I just imagine, I imagine what it's like in the union. Oh, the tax collectors union of Rome, oh, they know it, the TCURPF, you know. They know, what they're, they know what it's like. They know what it's like. I know the acronym doesn't work, sister. I'm sorry. I, they know what it's like to be looked down their nose by religious people. They know all too well what it's like to get that glare from self-righteous religious leaders, you know? And so when Levi comes to work and he goes, guys, you're not going to believe this, but I actually just got an invitation from a rabbi. And he invited me to come and be his student. I'm going I'm to be one of the leading rabbi's disciples and you just, dude, you thought your, your water, what is that called? The break room? You thought your break room was brutal? These guys just lay into, oh, guys, hey, Levi found religion. <laughs> oh, they invited, sure, Levi. Oh, you got an invitation, uh-huh, from Hogwarts? Is that who the rabbi is, right? Who's this imaginary rabbi? Does he have a name? It's too good to be true. A leader who doesn't look down on you for your profession, a teacher who doesn't condemn you, a rabbi who would be willing to be caught associating with you, good one. Oh my goodness, Levi. Good one, Levi. I want to have what this guy's having, right? And Levi, he stares at them, and he goes, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. As a matter of fact, Jesus is coming over to my house for dinner tonight. I will prove it to you. Come and see. Come to dinner. Come and see. He'll be there. You'll see what I'm talking about. And friends, in Levi's home, two worlds collide. In Levi's home, over dinner, Two worlds collide. Levi's people are invited to come and spend time with Jesus' people. And it's crazy. They come and they experience the same love and warmth and hospitality and non judgmental grace and love and mercy and kindness that Levi experienced. We know this because it's not just one or two, it is many tax collectors who are drawn to Jesus. Friends, we know this. This was not a simple meet and greet where they came and mingled for an open house. No, it says they were full-blown reclining with Jesus and his disciples. This is a five-course meal. They're lounging on the floor, past the hummus, get me the olives. We are feasting with Jesus. Those who know that they are far are now near 
to Jesus. And they're refreshed by his presence. They're blown away by his kindness. And eventually, check this out, check this out. Eventually, it's his kindness that leads them to repentance. Because eventually, there were many who followed him. Many turn to follow Jesus. Friends, Jesus comes near to those who are far. This is a full-blown revival in the tax collector world, right? Full-blown revolution happening in the tax collector's world. But notice Jesus' ministry, his inbreaking to the world of tax collectors, it started with one tax collector. It started with one tax collector who, after he met Jesus, he used his circle, he, he, he reached his circle of influence and introduced him to Jesus. Friends, let me ask you, what world may Jesus want to reach through you? What world may Jesus want to reach through you? You see, when we follow Jesus, it's not just for us. It's for those around us, in our world, in our circle of influences. When we follow Jesus, we are strategically placed in the sovereignty of God in a certain corner of the world with a certain sphere of influence to connect people who are just like us from our world to Jesus and his people. We get to say, just like Levi, come and see. Come and see. This is a revival in the tax collector's world. What if God wants to have a revival in the coaching world? What if God wants there to be a revival in the CPA world, in the medical profession world, in the construction world, in the HVAC world? It starts with one. It starts with one. And here's what happens. We become followers of Jesus. And I, and I remember this, this realization vividly as a young adult. It is so easy to start to live a compartmentalized life, isn't it? I have my, 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 my normal people over here. I have my world over here. And then I have my Jesus people over here. Here are my coworkers, my friends, my family, my neighbors, the baristas from my coffee shop. Like, here's my world. But then I leave my world and I go kick it with Jesus on Sundays in that community group. And then I peace out to Jesus' people and I come back over here. And we live this compartmentalized life. But this world never touches the rest of our world. But in this story this morning, we realize that the call to follow Jesus is a call to bring Jesus to bear on every aspect of our lives and to live one life. To follow Jesus is to introduce others to follow Jesus. And it started with one. It started with one. Who has Jesus positioned you to introduce to Jesus? And this is a beautiful story. This is beautiful. There's revival. Tax collectors are turning to Jesus. And I wish we could end there. But it's not all rainbows and ponies, is it? It's not all smiles and good cheers. For every person who is attracted to the grace and love in Jesus, there are two people who are hot and bothered by the same. And so check out what we see here. It says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
Why is he eating with them? And we realize here that Jesus' actions, they stir hope in the ragged, but they also stir hypocrisy in the religious. Why is he eating with them? We're back in the high school cafeteria. This is literally what they say in ninth grade. Why are you eating with them? There are people here, religious elites, who have done their part to climb the social ladder, and now they are offended by Jesus. His indiscriminate acceptance and friendliness is making them uncomfortable. You're eating with those kind of people? You're befriending and hanging out with those who are farthest from God? And their sensibilities are offended. This flies in the face of social and religious convention. Jesus, don't you know we're supposed to ignore those kinds of people? We distance ourselves from those who don't deserve to be in. Everyone knows this, except for Jesus, apparently. They don't get Jesus. And yet he makes sense of his entire mission with one poignant metaphor. He goes, let me set you straight. And he sets him straight. Look at this metaphor. It's so powerful. I don't even want to explain more because it's, it's so clear. Look what he says. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, period. Just as a doctor spends the majority of his time with sick and dying people, so too Jesus has come to those who need spiritual surgery. He says, I'm here for the people who are on their spiritual deathbeds, those who are sick, not with cancer, but with something far worse. It's the sin that separates them from God. And he says, these are the people I've come to heal, to restore, and to redeem. I'm not here for those who think they're good enough. I'm not here for those who have no need of me because they think that they're God on their own. He says, I'm here for those who know that they can't. I'm here not to call the righteous, but sinners. Hey, guys, Jesus has not come to observe our tired social hierarchies. Jesus is not here to play our silly religious games. He has come for the very people who need him. He has come for the far away. Jesus comes near to those who are far. If you're reading this quickly, you might miss the irony. It sounds kind of like he's saying, hey, scribes, you don't need me. You're healthy and righteous already, so I'm going to go spend time with those who do need me. Like, that, that's what it sounds like at first. Pharisees, you don't need me, so I need to be with the sick people. The irony here, I, I wish you could almost see it happening. He's like putting the word righteous in air quotes. You know, he's like, I'm not here for the righteous. I'm not here for those who think they are righteous. I'm not here for those who are self-righteous. Because in reality, the religious superiors with their self-righteousness, they're just as sick. They're just as in need of saving as blatant sinners. The people who are questioning him, they too are sick and they need to be healed from their spiritual pride, from their lack of love, from their arrogance, from their superiority. They are sick. But Jesus is saying, you are unable to receive from me because you don't see yourselves as sick. 
The only people who can receive the ministrations of the physician are those who know that they're sick and come to the physician. Their pride precludes them from receiving Jesus' help. Are you sick? Are you spiritually sick or spiritually sufficient? I wonder, friends, are you a spiritually sufficient person? Do you tend to see yourself? I'm basically healthy. I'm basically good. I'm self-sufficient, spiritually speaking. Maybe you used to need God's grace. You used to be dependent on his mercy. But now, you know, you kind of got it going on. You got some momentum and you're good. You can use a tip or trick here or there from the preacher, but you're, you're good. See, when I put it that way, you, you all smile and you laugh and you go, ha, never. But here's what I want you to know, church. None of us are immune to that religious infection. Be careful as you mock and, and, and shake your head at the scribes here. Be careful that you do it and don't realize that you and me are both equally susceptible to that kind of religious arrogance. None of us are immune. Our subtle sins, they make us no less needy than those whose sins are out there for all to see. We are all works in progress. And so I call you, church, whenever we find ourselves in this position, may we go to our knees and run back to Jesus in humility and confess our pride and say, I'm sick, please heal me. These are the spiritually sufficient people. May we, in those moments, may we say to him, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, nor power, nor wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Are you spiritually sufficient? Or are you like the tax collectors, the sinners, those who run to the presence of Jesus because you know that you are spiritually sick? Are you aware of just how desperate your situation is? Do you understand that apart from God's grace and mercy, you will never be able to measure up on your own? If that's you, good news, sick people. The doctor is in and he will see you now. Good news, sick people. He has come near to those of us who are far away. He will transform you by his unbelievable grace and kindness. Do you dare to believe that Jesus really does associate with those of us that are like that? Jesus comes near to those who are far. He comes near to those who are far. And here's how I would like us to respond. Two things for you, okay? I have an encouragement and I have a challenge. Okay? Number one, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you by holding up this portrait of Jesus, the friend of sinners. And so for those of you in this room who are sinners, good news, he's your friend. He's a friend to sinners. He welcomes those of us who don't have it together. He's the friend of tired and impatient mothers. He's the friend of the prideful and the self-righteous. He's the friend of the selfish. He's the friend of the jealous. He's the friend of the petty. He's the friend of the gossips. He's a friend to the foul mouth. Come to him, friends. You are not too far away because Jesus comes near to those who are far. Be encouraged. And then as you're encouraged, as you remember how he welcomes you, here's my challenge. I want us to be a people who welcome others. Are we reflecting Jesus' mission and attitude? 
Can it be said of East Point? Hey, East Point Church comes near to those who are far. And so we like to talk about, well, we want to make sure that Sunday, we want to make sure that our church is a place where everybody feels welcome. And we're talking about Sunday, right? We're talking about this space. We want this gathering to be welcoming to all. But I want to take it one step further. Yes, I want Sundays to be a place where everybody feels welcome. But I'm going to take another step. Is your life a place where everyone feels welcome? Is your home a place where everyone feels welcome? Is your couch a place where everyone feels welcome? See, it's too easy for us to go, well, I just, I want my church to be a welcoming place because then I can just invite them to church and I don't have to do it. No, 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 you're the church. You're the church. I want my church to be a place so I can invite them there. And I'm saying, I want your heart and your home to be a place so you can invite them here. So that other people, as they look at you in the name of Jesus, they would know, ah, Jesus comes near to those who are far. Father, I pray that you would make this so. Lord, I pray that the refreshing, grace-filled ministry of Jesus Christ would be alive and well in this community. That those who are far from you, those who have been hurt by religious people in your name, would be blown away by the kindness and mercy and love and grace of Jesus Christ. That we, your people, would perfectly embody grace and truth the way that Jesus did. Help us to be that, Lord. And then lastly, we just thank you. We're so encouraged by the fact that you are a friend of sinners. And so that means there's hope for us. Father, I pray that when we sin, when we fail, that that desire to distance ourselves from you, that tendency to run away from you, would you please overcome that and help us to continue to run near to you in faith, knowing that you love us anyway. You, the friend of sinner, who comes near to those who are far. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.